Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Fidelity Institutional Portfolio Manager Bo Koash joins the show today to speak with host Pamela Ritchie about his expectations for the Economic Policy Symposium in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Bo emphasizes the importance of Fed Chair Jerome Powell's communication, sharing that Powell's statements and messaging are critical in guiding market expectations and shaping investor sentiment. He highlights the key indicators that investors are watching closely, such as owner's equivalent rent and wage trends. Among other topics, Bo touches on his view of the fixed income market, global investment opportunities in areas such as Brazil or Mexico, the need for investors to embrace market volatility, and the role of central banks in market behavior and investor decisions. He also discusses his views on duration and potential scenarios for the future, including the possibility of higher rates. He mentions that demographic factors may lead to a higher for longer interest rate environment and discusses the possibility of investors turning to bonds given the current high yield levels. This podcast was recorded on August 23rd, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. What does Jerome Powell have set out as a challenge for him? What, what line does he need to either, well, he needs to walk a line here, doesn't he? Well, I think he certainly needs to make sure that everyone understands that it's all about the data, number one. I think that's been a constant kind of phrase that he's said over time. Number two, he's got to really have some great things to say on Friday morning at 10.05 when he goes on. And I was just talking to Jeff Moore earlier and one of our key portfolio managers here at Fidelity, and he was saying that he's got to speak for more than 15 minutes. So the market didn't like it last time he went about 15 minutes and kind of left a lot of questions. But for sure, there's a couple of sticky items still in the economy here in the U.S. And I, I think everyone's listening and hinging on owner's equivalent rent, which is a big part of the shelter component, which has been a very sticky number. We think it's going to come down soon, but at the soon is who knows the when. It's the it's not an if it's when hypothetically, but and then the other piece is the wages. We we've had very strong employment numbers, and the wage piece is has been very sticky in terms of our average hourly earnings. And so those, I think those are the key items that everyone is kind of leaning into and waiting to hear about, especially at that 10:05 time frame where. Anyone can listen in. It's YouTube is streaming. It'll be all over CNBC. You can follow along on the KansasCityFed.org. Lots of ways of, of listening for it. So that, I think that's the good structure. I'm gonna get my popcorn out. I, I mean, absolutely. This is this is all happening. <laughs> we we love this. And if you're if you're geeky and you love this, this is this is the real deal. Okay, so he needs to kind of address those things and walk the line. What what what? Positioning-wise, what camp are you in? Are we are we about to see cuts? So positioning-wise, we have liked duration. We're not all in on duration yet. And so thankfully, because rates have come, come a lot wider over the last couple of months, as we've kind of moved from the bank panic uh, late March period into which 
we had a rally in rates. As you remember, Treasury 10 years got got down pretty significantly, uh, very low uh, to 340-ish, 345. You know, we're, we're back up to over four handle now, four and a quarter, 422 as of this morning. And so uh, we've kind of round tripped. We started the year, you know, at around these levels, maybe a little bit tighter. We rallied all the way into a 345-ish, 10-year yield, and now we're back. So the opportunity that we were really banging the table on earlier in the year is now back with us. And the only thing that's different is that spreads are a little tighter than they were at the beginning of the year. And so if you thought, I think most of the market was positioned for a recession happening this year, or at least talking about a recession happening this year, our view is that we didn't see any evidence of that happening. That could have easily been you know, an event that caused that, like the bank panic, was was pushing us into spreads widening and feeling like we were heading potentially heading into a potential recession given financial conditions were tightening. But as we look at today, all we did was rallied, spreads rallied off those wides. Treasuries have now given back all that improvement, and we're sitting at very attractive yields. So we're actually very positive about markets, but we have sold uh, risk assets uh, in, uh, over that period of time, and we have lots of treasuries now. So we feel really good about our positioning. We can win a couple of different ways, and we can talk about that later. But we, we really like our where we are right now. So, so uh, you know, last quarter, I mean, people are still talking about concerns about recession. That hasn't gone away. But, but because there was so much concern about a recession, and, and as you say, you at the time didn't see it, what did you do with that? Were you more on the risk side of things? We didn't sell. We saw a lot of competitors selling risk assets in that time period or even before. High yield, loans, all the stuff that you would consider frothy, high-grade credit, low-tranche, securitized credit, things like that. So all those items that you would, the, game, the playbook would be to sell that in advance of a recession. I think that's what we were seeing. And we saw spreads in all those sectors gap wider during the bank panic. So you got if you'd sold before that, you felt like you were you got you know, you, you were paid pretty well to have made those sales. But we didn't see. So we held on to all that paper. And the hardest thing to do when you sell it all is to try to get it back, especially when there's been no there's no forced selling on the other side. And I know that's a hard concept to get your arms around, but I'll bring you back to 2020. The reason why we were able to add a lot of risk is because corporates across the globe, especially here in the US, were bringing lots of securities to the marketplace so they could extend out of uh, commercial paper into the long end and protect themselves So during the, during the pandemic. So we had forced selling happening. We did not have any forced selling into this last bank panic Maybe you could say that the Fed was and the FDIC uh, program was selling agency mortgages and treasuries that the banks had to get rid of. That's a high quality problem when you're selling good securities into a market that needs them. And they were only the best agency mortgages. They had really high quality mortgages they were selling out. We, we actually participated in buying some of that on the FDIC program. So you, okay. what, you, what you didn't have is a big sale of high yield bonds or loans or things that could have really driven the spreads much wider. And so good luck getting all that stuff back on. If, if you had a, a longer term view, which we did, uh, we were able to hold on to it and it worked 
pretty well. I mean, if high yield is up five plus percent this year, you would have never, I don't know of eight people who would have guessed that out of 10 on January 1, that, that we'd have this kind of return in the lower quality asset classes. So we have to go back to where you see, I mean, do you see a recession now? You, you were checking before, didn't really see it, positioned yourself, positioned yourself accordingly. Now what? Well, we're positioned that if we do have a recession, we still have, we're at the low end of our tracking error. So we, we don't have as much risk as we had on, say, a year ago, but we still have great yields. And a lot of it's coming from treasuries and we have duration too. So we we're slightly overweight duration. We've got a curve steepener on, which has hurt a little bit over the last month or so. But that said, we're still outperforming. Uh, we still have a positive absolute return and we're outperforming the ag index, which is the benchmark by a significant amount. So we're still doing quite well. We saw tons of flows into bond funds over the course of the last year. And I mean, I would assume you'll set us right that a lot of that was due to the fear of a recession, right? I mean, there, there was a fair amount of scramble or, or is that not the reason? We think it's mostly because we've had this, we've had this confluence of events. Number one, we've got the cheapest yields that we've seen since 2006. And that's because government yields are much wider with the Fed moving as aggressively as they have. So we've got kind of a, a kind of a 30, 20 year event here with yields being as, as wide as they've been. Number two, we've got a lot of passive. You can't get long duration and passive. So we've had people getting out of uh, index product coming into active management. And then three, there's been a pretty widespread diversion, or, or at least from from best to worst performance. We've had a lot of uh, a big spread between the best and the worst, and so we're seeing flows coming out of those who have underperformed dramatically last year and into this year and into some of the outperformers. So we're seeing it coming from competitor flows. We're seeing it from you know, versus active or versus passive, and we're seeing. You know, this risk adjusted opportunity where if bonds are typically three to 4% volatility every year with equities being 15 and you can get double, if we can get a five, six, 7% return this year in bonds, double your, double your vol, you're probably not looking at getting double your volatility return in equities. That would mean you'd have to get 30% return. You can get that probably year to date in NASDAQ or if you own nothing but Nvidia, but everything else. Is going to be difficult to get in equities a double your vol return. So from a risk adjusted perspective, we're seeing a, a great opportunity in bonds. And I think that's really the driver on the margin. You know, folks yeah. selling maybe things that aren't going to provide that kind of risk adjusted return in favor of bonds, take the sure thing. And also, I think a lot of consultants and, and clients are worried if they've been in cash, they've already won. They've gotten that four to five percent yield. And if if the curve does steepen, it's not a matter of if it steepens, it's just when, which means that the front end will should come back down again. Not, And we think uh, one of the results from Jackson Hole could be that, the, that, that Powell starts messaging out to 2025. So we may not have this massive drop, but at some point at we're going to drop. rising out until 2025? That, 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 that rates in the front end, that the cuts probably won't start happening until 2025. That's one of the outcomes potentially of Jackson Hole, that, that the market, the forward-looking markets 
today in terms of Fed funds are saying earlier than that. So 2024, if this the expectation can be pushed back to 25, it just means that we're not going to steepen for have a bull steep there for a while. Okay, that's the, news. We've had a bear steep there for the last month. News there. That, that, that's awesome. Okay, I've got to ask you this question. This is one of the other potential outcomes or a question about it coming in. So could the Fed move the target inflation rate higher than 2%? This is always a question, isn't it? What do you think? Well, I think it's just a low likelihood to move the benchmark at this point, given how sensitive. Think about how the market overreacts uh, significantly to, to him talking for 15 minutes versus what they expect, maybe more. Do you imagine moving the target? And, you know, what will that, you know, how, what kind of feedback will the market give to that happening? I don't think there's a likelihood of it. You know, I think it's this weighted average return, like the weighted, what's, what is the weighted average kind of target potentially? And, and I think the Fed can, you know, as long as we have this weighted average target up close to two-ish, it could be four, it could be one. Uh, and so they're looking at maybe you can get a two handle on a three to one type of scenario. And the, the trend is moving down that way. We're, we're heading into three handle pretty soon, if not already. So I think this is more of an averaging issue, not a specific number on it that's supposed to be hit on a quarter to quarter basis. Okay. Okay. Interesting question. Just you know, the thought, your thoughts on the tenure. The bond markets have had some very interesting sort of resettings over the course of the last well, month or so. So yeah, here's a specific question. Thoughts on the tenure? So the tenure has been a volatile series. Um, you know, when I look back, uh, you know, over the last three to four months, I think we've had something like twenty to thirty uh, days where you've had you know seven to ten basis points of intraday volatility. And we're, we're having another one of those today because of the payroll adjustment that looks to be in the works. So, you know, anytime you get a big number or a big shift or something like that, just look at the performance of the tenure. And that tells you what the market thinks of it. And everyone jumps to, oh, 10 basis points is a lot. But if we've had lots of those, then it's not a lot. It's what the market kind of, the market is a volatile place right now. Rates are volatile until the direction changes where we get OAR and wages to to comply. And then until that happens, we're going to have a choppy series. And I, I think everyone, we're all on board that. So we have to embrace the volatility. It's not going to be a nice little neat package that gets delivers to you that you're going to get your 10% return uh, for taking no risk. That just doesn't happen. So um, you know, we're, we're, we're flexible. We're, wait, we're listening and, and waiting to hear what, what Powell says, but more importantly, also understanding what the market's telling us through the pricing mechanisms. So what's the market telling you today about that adjustment in jobs, which, I mean, looks pretty big, but could be bigger. This is the adjustment on how many jobs, in fact, were created. So we would just look at the uh, the monthly numbers. If we're getting 170 to 200 jobs, it's like a two-month adjustment, right? Or right. I'm rounding, right? So is it big? Yes, it's big. Is the market reflecting that? 10 basis points uh, on the 10-year of tightening. Uh, out of that macro piece of information, that's in line with the seven to ten that I've noted that tends to happen on most, you know, kind of news items that look like this. Um, so I think it's I think the market's pretty sanguine about it. And I think this is just a, a little bit more volatile day than some of the other volatile days we've had. So 
Not seven, but a 10. Okay. If so, if if there's a recession, hard to know going forward, one way or the other, and and what the catalyst would be. So I'm sort of curious what the catalyst would be in your mind, but also the known risks. So there's the known risks, and then there's the ones that you don't know, which often are the ones that catch you. But you know, what are sort of the known risks, and then you know, what do you what do you have to say on a catalyst? The big knowns: China is not doing well. So that's global GDP. That is potentially supply chain, that's potentially their stock market slowing, their economy slowing because they have a high dependence on real estate for their individual net worth. I think it's the number is something close to 60%. That's a big, if real estate fails there, that's a problem. It's much lower. I think the, the net worth reliance here is much lower. I don't have the exact number, but my guess is it's probably less than half of that. Number two, you've got the sticky inflation numbers. If something goes hyperbolic, we actually don't slow. We actually start speeding up from here. That's a scenario that could create some damage on rates going higher from here. That's not our base case, but that's certainly something that we have to consider in our scenarios when we look at how we're currently positioned and what kind of returns our clients are, we're expecting to give our clients. So we are constantly looking at scenario analysis that's basically looking at the sensitivity of the 10-year yields going higher, not lower. Obviously, we'd love to see them go lower because then our clients win. But even if they stay the same, we think we win because we're at 6 7% yields. And if all we do is get your coupon, I think most folks, as long as inflation's not at 6 or 7 would be very happy getting 6 or 7% returns or yields. The next bet, the next door, door number two is you get a tightening or a bull, bull steepener where the front end comes down. You get some total return plus your yield. That can get you, and I'm, we're not forecasting that. We're just saying probability-wise that could happen. That looks like a 55% probability. That's not a super high. That's a little bit better than flipping a coin, but not much. But you that gives you double-digit, low double-digit returns because you're getting returns from both current yield and a total return. And then number door number three is the scenario happens where we have an event, a risk event, whether China does something or implodes or the Russia-Ukraine issue takes a turn for the worst and things happen that are above and beyond what anybody expects and or the inflation picture you know, heats up and we have an event that gets caused or a recession that gets caused off of something like that where inflation kicks up. Then we have super high quality investments in what we have lots of treasuries. We haven't had this many treasuries in our portfolios really for, I think, since we started the strategy. So we we are loaded up on the safest parts of the, of the market. We can sell those quickly. Those should rally in a risk off environment and we can buy risk assets. And that sets, sets us up for a pretty unique uh, total return experience. So obviously, we can win. We can win on a positive way. The first two. This, the third is a two-step process. The first is negative. The second could be very positive. So, would you call this a soft landing that we're in right now? This is this is it. I don't think this is. You could. Pro, you. I think the history books might say that we could have already had a very soft landing, but if but it feels like. We could we could easily have another soft type of landing or or a hard landing based on if we have this one event like a Lehman Brothers event. You know, there's 
I think we were chugging along pretty well. Then we had Bear Stearns and Lehman, and that pushed us into a kind of a panic, you know, recession back in the, you know, 2008, 2009 period. So, like, I don't think, I think me and other, and us and other talking heads in the asset management and investment world, we're all seeing kind of the same things. Like, things, there's no data that suggests that we're in a soft landing or, that things are falling off the map at all. We have some of this proprietary data where we have something like 10% of all the U.S. workers that we run their their 401ks and we have back office for. The numbers we're seeing it are are, pr- are pretty in line. Like the economy is chugging along. Now we certainly have a goods a bit of a goods recession. People bought everything they needed during COVID. They're getting rid of stuff now. Think about your own lives. Absolutely. You're probably traveling a little bit more. You're probably not buying stuff. You're probably trying to get rid of stuff. I mean, just think of all of us. We're all kind of in the same boat. And if you look at the adjustment on the payrolls, it's coming from warehousing and transportation, two of the items that are going to get hit the worst by goods, a goods recession. Amazon had 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 this very early. They were cutting back on all their real estate deals in New England and, and everywhere because they probably saw the data in in their in their systems, right, where they were selling less stuff. And that this happened. I think they were doing this 14, 16 months ago or so, where they cut back any real estate deal that wasn't kind of in process. They just walked away from it. And, you know, I'm getting that anecdotally from friends that are in the, that industry. But I think that's that's what was happening across in. A lot of warehouse space got built over the last several years, given that everyone thought everyone's thing would go online. Nobody would go to a store anymore. That's just not true. It's not, that's not what's happening. So for those that are gun shy from rates being negative and just thought, why would I ultimately have bonds in my portfolio or not too many anyway? You mean negative uh, in terms of negative performance? That's- in terms of the performance, yeah. Why is this a new era going forward? Like, why should we trust ultimately that that this is a different area? And and also, I mean, the yield story, the rate story, like do higher for longer, do we sit here for a while? Why should we believe that that is here to stay in any way? We, we could be higher for longer. I think you just have to look at demographics and the story of demographics is there's there's no debate on it. Those are the numbers. Demographics, we're, we're an aging population, you know, you need a con- you need productivity and labor force to grow. That's the math. So if you have that now, Canada's gotten it right. They've let in a lot. You, you've done a great job on immigration. So that's I won't get into all that stuff, but it's but other places haven't done. China has not done it. They've got the one child policy. That's even though they've taken it away, people aren't having more than one child. So it's it's a just think about how that works over time when you have big retirement cohorts that are happening and how productive you can be. So we need things. The reason why AI took off and did so well is because it had promise of replacing the jobs that nobody was signing up for. And that addressable market of filling in all those that AI could replace middle office, back office, and other parts of you know, wherever wherever is needed, have held great promise given the shrinking populations we're seeing across the globe. Europe, China, Japan, U.S., not Africa, not India, 
but you know, certainly Canada's done a nice job growing. Others, you know, it's it, but it's not it's not the same. We we are having a problem here in the U.S., and we think that at some point that's gonna that's gonna drive yields lower. So in terms of believing it or not believing it, it's probably not an if. It's just when. It's it's a it's a timing issue, and yeah, you know, we could be early by two years. But at the end of the day, we're getting paid to be early. We're getting paid seven percent to be early. That was my point about at least you're getting the coupon clip. When 2022 started at one and a half percent yields, you weren't getting paid at all. No, indeed, indeed, which is, you know, that's why it is sort of a different world in that sense. Speaking of the world, global opportunities, we've heard Fortress North America a few times. That's still of interest, you know, anywhere else? That's, that's just big, big thought. Yeah. Other things that we've got in the portfolio or places like Brazil that seems to be already have gone through their recession and not the other side. Their currency is doing quite well. Their yields have come in dramatically. Places like Mexico, very, very close to onshoring here for kind of supply chain type issues. That's also a currency that's done very well. That's also a place where their yields have come in. So places like that have done quite well. Right. Okay. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. Do you have a, just a final thought for investors of just sort of, you know, is it still okay to get in? Have they missed the boat in, in any case? Uh, the good news is I would have said a couple few months ago that you missed the boat because we started the year at great yields. We rallied. Now we've given all that back. And now you're starting at even a higher yield than you did on Jan 1. So it's factually a better time given that we're even closer to the end of tightening, hypothetically, in, in case unless we get the third scenario where we're wrong on OER, we're wrong on inflation, we're wrong on wages. And that's that's a population growth discussion that we just had. So it's at some point, it's not an if, it's when, and we could wait for two years, but if you wait for two years at 7%, it's a pretty good outcome. Yeah, okay, amazing setup. Bo Kowash, thank you for joining us and spending your time with us today on Fidelity Connects. Thanks, Pamela. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon on Pamela Ritchie. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. On fidelity.ca, you can also find more information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter. Thanks again. See you next time.